Welcome to Sound of Truth Weekly Interview, where we have conversations with ordinary people to learn how our extraordinary God is at work in people's lives and in the world today. I'm your host, Brett Morani, and I'm excited you've joined us. It is my great joy and honor to welcome to Sound of Truth Weekly Interview, Patty Adams. Patty, welcome to Sound of Truth Weekly Interview. Well, thanks for having me on, Brett. I have known Patty for, I don't know, Patty, maybe 15 years now. We got to know Mm -hmm. you through your son and daughter-in-law and your grandkids being a part of our church family here in Jacksonville. And Mm -hmm. we we just love your family. We love you and Jeff, your husband. You guys are, as you shared with me, approaching your 49th anniversary. Yeah, 49 years with one guy. Isn't that something? Praise the Lord. (laughs) Praise the Lord indeed. Well, you got you a good man there. Yes, I do. Jeff and Patty, for our guests who are listening, have been, like I said, married 49 years. They have two boys here on earth, and Patty has shared she has also three children in heaven, a couple of Mm -hmm. sons and a daughter. Correct. She's also the author of the book, From the House by the Seashore, which Mm -hmm. really is a longer version of the story she's going to be sharing with us on the podcast today. It goes in much more detail, so I want to encourage you to look that up on Amazon, From the House by the Seashore by Patty Adams. That's P-A-T-I Adams. Patty is currently the Executive Director for Pregnancy Resource Center of Panama City. And you've been serving in that role for how long, Patty? Um, about six years. About six years. So she's doing a good work there. Patty, we're thrilled to have you. And what we'd like to do is just go ahead and have you share your story with us. Tell us about your upbringing and then want to specifically zero in at some point in your story on how you came to know Christ as your Lord and Savior. So why don't we start with your background? You were born in the Northeast, if I remember correctly. Right. I was born in New Haven, Connecticut, and I was raised in Milford, Connecticut. And I have two brothers that are five years younger than I am. I was raised in a Catholic home. I went to a Catholic grammar school. I uh, went to a public high school. And the public high school, that's where I was kind of introduced to drugs, uh, you know, marijuana, a little bit of marijuana. Um, hashish and stuff like that. This is all back in the late 60s, early 70s. And um, from that point, I just realized that I really liked the drugs, but I didn't take them, didn't take that many. When I got out of high school, uh, I never went to college. I didn't know what I was doing with my life. So I started, I was living with a friend of mine from high school in New Haven, Connecticut. We sub-rented a um, apartment from a Yale Law student. And, and in that part, we found a lot of guys and stuff from Yale and had parties and things like that. And um, I was working at a boutique on, in New Haven, Connecticut for a while. About a, maybe a year later, um, I met this guy in front of a bar next to Yale University. It was called Hungry Charlie's. It is now called Toad's Place. Hmm. Um, and there was a guy out there and he was just, you know, checking out women going by and stuff like that. And he wanted to talk to me and I told him to take a hike. And my <laughs> girlfriend was like, I'll like, I'll talk to him. I'll talk. And so, uh, unbeknownst to me that that was going to end up being my husband. <laughs> so, so we lived together for about a year, and then we got married. Well, hold and, on a second. Uh, you you went okay. from take a hike, buddy, to then we're living. <laughs> we lived together for a year. So fill yeah. fill in the blank there a little bit for us. Okay, I'll fill in the blank. Okay, he was a really good looking guy, and I 
I had a low self-esteem of myself growing up. And I, even after I got out of high school, I, I still, still felt the same way, mm-hmm. you know, to back that truck up, as you say, you know, I was like, well, when I told him to take a hike and everything, I guess I became a challenge to him. Mm-hmm. And so, um, he would start coming to the bars, you know, coming to the bar all the time. Cause he would always say, where are you girls coming back and all that. And so he would come and meet us there and then we just started hanging out and then going out and doing stuff with groups and stuff. And then me and him would go for a ride in his car. And, uh, you know, uh, there was one time it was the weirdest thing. My girlfriend, Lori and I were out partying at a place in Connecticut, excuse me, at the beach. And we decided to go get some ice cream and stuff. And there were these guys there. I said, why don't you girls come over and hang out with us at the pool party? We're having a pool party. So we went over there. And then uh, Lori and I decided, to say, hey, we're going to go back to home to New Haven. And then we're going to come back and change and we'll party. And they said, okay, great. And on the way there, I said to my girlfriend, Lori, and I'm driving a 1967 Mustang, by the way. Wow. And uh, fastback. And on the way there, I said to my friend Lori, I said, I, you know what? I don't know if that guy is going to be there that we met, you know, in New Haven. I said, and she said, you're never going to meet that jerk again. So don't worry about it. But there was something in my spirit. Now, I was not a Christian at the time. Mm-hmm. And I said, there's just something in my spirit saying, I'm going to see him. And Lori's going, you're crazy. And we pulled up in front of the, the guy's house, and there was Jeff sitting on the front of his car. Mm. And I sat in the car going, are you kidding me? <laughs> I said a rather couple of choice words, which I won't say on the radio. <laughs> and so I got out of the car, and the first words he said, I said, look at this, the two little chickadees from New Haven, Connecticut. <laughs> and so we, we took a ride with him in his car and all that. And then my friend Lori said she wanted to go hang out with the other guys. And he asked me, you want to go for a ride in the car? And I said, yeah. And he took me to Jimmy's of Savin Rock, which was right on the beach in West Haven, Connecticut. And, and that started our story. So now we, we can resume where you left off previously. So you, you lived with him for a year at this point, right? Yes. And my parents were very upset with me. They were totally distraught. I, t- I just told, and I told them, you know, I'm living with Jeff. And my father goes, no, you're living in sin. And, you know, you, you're a good Catholic girl. What's the matter with you? And so finally, after a while, he decided that, you know, he asked me to marry him. And I said, of course. And of course, my parents were elated. And so I moved home to my parents' house for about a month before we got married. And then we got married October 14th in 1973. And that started our journey as our marriage. So, um, and then in 1974, I found myself pregnant. We had our first son, Jeff Jr., mm-hmm. which was a, was a blessing. And so here I am, a young mom. I have not one clue how to take care of this kid. So I was on the phone with my mother-in-law, my you know, my uh, my mother, and they were telling me all the things to do, and I was like, I can't handle this. So I, you know, started drinking a couple times here and there, and uh, but I didn't get really enticed with it for a while. Mm-hmm. And then, um, and then I found out a year later I was pregnant, and I was kind of excited, uh, but my husband Jeff was not, and he says, "Go back to your doctor and see what we can do." And so I had already taken a pregnancy test, you know, and back then you had to wait three days. You had to have a blood test. You had to wait three days to find out if you're pregnant or not. Not like today, you know, Mm -hmm. in three minutes, you'll be able to find out if you're pregnant. 
So I went back to my doc. I went back to my doctor, and um, he said that, uh, well, you know, you don't have any insurance, so you know, why don't you, you know, it's in fifteen minutes, have an abortion, and fifteen minutes, you'll be back to normal. And I said, okay. That was my education, mm. Pastor Brent, was you'll be back to normal in 15 minutes. It's only going to take 15 minutes. You'll be back to normal. And it's only a blood mass anyway. That was my education on abortion. Mm-hmm. Hmm. So I was really scared and nervous. I didn't know what was going to happen. I went to Milford Hospital, which is called now. It's called Yale Milford Hospital. And um, I had my abortion. I was awake through the whole thing. Uh, I was at excruciating pain. I kept telling them to stop, stop, stop. They wouldn't do it. And then when they were done, they both, the nurse and the doctor just walked out and left me there. And I'm looking there and I'm looking at this jar on the floor with tubes hanging out of it. And I'm going, well, maybe that's the blood mass he was talking about because I saw something in there. I Mm -hmm. couldn't recognize what it was. And of course, I was crying. I was upset. And so I stayed there for another 15, 20 minutes, and then they let me go home. And I tell you what, Pastor Brett, when I got in the car with my husband, he was looking at me, trying to talk to me. I couldn't even look at him. And my ride home was like a slow-moving nightmare. I kept looking at the reflection in the window at my face, and I was not the same person. Mm. And so I was devastated. I had nightmares. I didn't, you know, like two, three weeks later, the nightmares went away. And so then I felt like normal, like the doctor said mm-hmm. I was going to be. And so uh, then a year later, I found I was pregnant again. And we had our son, Michael Adams. Mm-hmm. And uh, he was, you know, he was a joy, you know, with both my children. I, they were both a joy, but there was something missing out of my heart. And I just couldn't take care of my kids. There was, I decided to just, they could do whatever they wanted. Now you're looking at little kids, I mean, mm-hmm. toddlers, and I didn't care what they did. They sat in the room, they did their own thing. I was, I, I would go get a, a joint or something, start, you know, smoking weed and drinking and stuff. And I just could not figure out what was wrong. I could not figure out what was wrong with me. Mm-hmm. I said, why don't they take care of these two little boys they are adorable? And I just, I just couldn't do it. And so um, I found out I was pregnant two more times in 1978 and 79. And I had two more abortions. Mm. Those abortions, Pastor Brett, is I had medical problems. Um, The medical problems were that the doctor actually perforated my uterus both times. And I almost bled to death. Mm. I had to go back to the hospital to endure two more abortions because they left fetal parts in my body. Oh, no. So I was like, so I got home and they said, you're going to be fine. You're going to be fine. Yeah, there was no fine. That, uh, the nightmares returned and the, um, the drugs started happening and I just could not, I could not do anything. And then when my husband wanted to have sexual relations with me, I told him to hit the road. I said, not on your life. And so I just, I started to turn away from him. I left him three times because I, because I felt that if we had sexual relationship in this marriage that I was going to end up pregnant again. And I said, you are not going to march me back to that doctor. I am not going to have an abortion. And I told him to take a hike. Those other two abortions after the first one, Michael was in between those. Yes. And was Jeff telling you you had to get the abortions? Yes. He okay. said, 
he said, we can't afford any more kids. We can't afford um, uh, to have kids. We can't take care of the kids we got now. And so um, basically between him and the doctor, I was pretty much forced to have those abortions. Okay. That's a tough place to be for, for a young mom. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I thought, you know, oh, I met my knight in shining armor. Yeah. Well, he fell off the horse real quick. 74, Jeff Jr. is born. 75 is the first abortion. Yep. And then Michael's born, and then you had two more abortions. Correct. You got it. A lot of life change, adding children, <laughs> feeling like you're not adequately taking care of those children. You're, you're mm-hmm. fleeing to uh, drugs to cope, right? Absolutely. Drugs and drinking. And so after this point in time, you've told him to take a hike. What next? Mm-hmm. Well, um, after the third time I left him, because I kept telling him I got to go find myself, I didn't know what I was doing. So the third time I left him, I filed for divorce. I said, I'm done. And so I now, kicked when him you out say of the house. You, oh, that's what, okay, that's what I was going to ask. When you said you left him, mm-hmm. did you make you made him leave and then you had the two, two boys with you? Right. Correct. And so, but the last time that I left, I still had the boys with me and I filed for divorce the last time I left. And um, he, he left the house and everything. He was living at his mom's house and he was distraught. The, the kids couldn't understand why daddy couldn't be home. And so I started hanging out with his Jeff's best friend and I started hanging out with him and liking him because I figured, you know, he's, he's a better guy than the guy that I have. So while we were still married, I was seeing somebody else. And so our two boys were, I mean, you know, Michael was real little, so I don't think he could comprehend what was going on. Jeffrey, on one hand, you know, my husband would come over to pick the kids up for the night and um, he'd stand, little Jeffrey would stand at the door and he said, Daddy, come in. And my husband goes, no, Mommy won't let me in. And Jeffrey would run to me and says, Mommy, how come Daddy can't come in the house? Because Mommy had her boyfriend in the house. Uh-huh. And so, um, and I didn't want my husband in the house anyway, because he was just, just to look at him just disturbed me. And so my son, Jeff, remembers that even to this day, standing there and having his father saying, I can't come in. So, I mean, there was an impact on the little one that I know people just don't comprehend that, that little kids really do remember stuff. Sure. And so I just, uh, from that point, uh, we split up for a while. And then I realized that I did care for him. I think we were split up for about four or five months before the divorce was final. Mm-hmm. And I realized that I, you know, I think I did love the man and I wanted to make it right. So I asked him to come back and he told me no. Did you and I was break like, up with the other guy? Yes. Yeah. I, I started to. And then I decided that, well, Jeff's not going to be with me. I'll go back with the other guy. I mean, I sound like this crazy crazy barfly, you know, it's just like, goodness gracious. So we got back together a week before our divorce was final. Okay. And from that point, while we were split up, he had lost himself in the biker world. He got a Harley Davidson and he started going to a biker bar and stuff. So when we got back together, I got introduced to that lifestyle. So now you're in the, the biker culture. Oh, yeah totally different. And I was loving it. I'm like, man, this is for me, riding Harleys, acting crazy, drinking, taking drugs. I said, this is a life for me. I just delved right into it head first. And meanwhile, you've got two boys at home. 
Yep, two boys at home. And Are you dropping them while, off at your mom's house and going out with your husband? How how'd that work? Yeah, we dropped them off at my husband's mom's house on the weekends. We drop them off on on Friday and pick them up on Sunday. Okay. And so we would go partying, you know, all the on the bike and everything. And I guess the uh, the owner of the bar that we went to liked both of us. And Jeff back then, he you know he's a tall guy, but he was really fit and, and firm and. And he wouldn't take no nothing from anybody. And so Stanley, the owner, asked him to be a bouncer, and he asked me to be the bartender. And I'm like, sure, I get to drink for free. <laughs> I'm there, you know. Mm-hmm. And so that's what we. And then during the day, sometime when we were working during the day, we would bring both the kids to the bar with. Interesting. Crazy <laughs> 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 what it is. <laughs> oh, You're now throwing yourself into this biker lifestyle on the weekends. You're, mm-hmm. As you described, you would party pretty heavily over the weekend as your mm-hmm. mother-in-law would take care of your boys. What next? Well, uh, we continued the lifestyle of partying, drinking, and drugs and stuff like that. And uh, I, I found myself many times when I was riding that motorcycle, my husband was, I mean, he was like the crazy man on the bike. He was going like 80, 90 miles an hour on the highway. And I would literally, literally let go of him and just put my arms out like I was flying and my head out in the back. I was like, I'm ready to go. I don't know where I'm going. Maybe I'm going to hell. Who cares? And I didn't care if I fell off that motorcycle at all. Mm. And I didn't realize I looked back now I had a death a death wish. I was just like I couldn't care less. So after a while we kinda slipped away a little bit from the bar life after four or five years and it just got to be too much. It was too much drama. I mean I definitely had drama in our life and I didn't I just kinda wanted to get away from that and take care of the kids. So that life in the biker culture, it wasn't like the old TV show Cheers where everybody knows your name and everybody's happy all the time. You all got along great and all that. There was significant relational drama going on in that culture. Right, there was. Yeah, uh, yeah totally. I mean, we we actually were at a, we were actually at a, the bar that we were working at. The, the Milford Police Department nicknamed it the Bucket of Blood because they would find people dead in the bathrooms and in the parking lot. Mm. I mean, that's. Kind of, this is this is the kind of bar it was, mm-hmm. and so there was a group of I, I guess you want to say Hell's Angels, mm-hmm. and they asked my husband to join them, and he said no, was he wasn't going to put a target on his back, mm-hmm. and so you know we never we never joined the Hell's Angels, but we just continued our lifestyle. But then it just got to be too much. Now this is the same bar you said you would bring your boys to as young boys. Yep, that's yeah. the one. Okay, and so um, you know we decided to. We talked about, I said, you know, let's try to be normal. And I'm thinking to myself, what's normal? I don't know what normal is mm-hmm. anymore. Mm-hmm. So, you know, he, uh, my father got him a job at the railroad and Jeff got, was working on the railroad for a while, actually for a long time. But, and we decided that we needed to move the, move out of Milford, Connecticut or West Haven, Connecticut into a more rural area. So we built a house in Clinton, Connecticut. And we figured, okay, we're out there. It's a, more of a seaside community. And uh, we figured that the kids would be okay out there. Well, 
little did we know that our older son started taking drugs and drinking and, and he was living a crazy lifestyle that we knew something was wrong, but we couldn't figure out why. How old was he at this point, Patty? Uh, Jeffrey was probably 14. Okay. 14, 15. Yeah, about 14. He, he started drinking and taking drugs and we just, it Oh gosh, it's just crazy. But anyway, he um he started doing really really bad things and so we started realizing that there's something seriously wrong here and then coming to find out that while I was working during the day, I actually got a regular job and my husband was working on the railroad. We had to leave the kids home around between 3 and 6 o'clock. They had to let themselves in. They were partying in the house and Jeffrey would start beating up Michael. And Michael would cry and stuff like that. And Michael got into stuff that, you know, we didn't understand. And I know we under later on in life, we found out Michael tried to kill himself a couple of times when we weren't home. Mm. And I was like, oh, my gosh. And then Jeffrey was, I don't know if he was suicidal, but, you know, you think about what did they saw their parents do this whole life that there was nothing for them. How old was Michael at this point when he was suicidal? Michael was maybe 12 or 13. Mm-hmm. Okay. And so I think so. Um, if memory serves me right, of course, I could be wrong in the ages, but um, I, I just, I couldn't believe what was happening. And, and at, it, then it seemed like the family got okay again. And so I got this thing that I always wanted to, I loved music. I loved rock music. Mm-hmm. And I always wanted to be a singer. <laughs> It sounds crazy now I think about it. And so I had a good friend in West Haven, Connecticut. Her son was a drummer, was in a band. And I called him up one day and I said, hey, Mark, you know, have you, you know, have you ever decided to have like a girl singer in your band? He goes, well, yeah, we could do that. So I ended up going into the music world then. And then I got indoctrinated and I actually made a record mm-hmm. and we took $10,000 loan on our house to make this. 45, you know, mm-hmm. um, back then. And, uh, my husband was not having it. He was upset. So we started fighting about that. And basically I told him, I said, look, I did what you wanted me to do for all those years. And now I'm going to do what I want to do. And so that, that, that started the ball rolling again of, you know, both of us being upset and everything. And meanwhile, Jeffrey and Michael are seeing the, the relationship of his mom and dad deteriorating a little bit, but my kids were so excited about me, mom being a rock star because I invited them into the recording studio one time and they got to sit and watch the whole thing. So, of course, they had stars in their eyes. Mom's going to move to Beverly Hills. Mom's going to be a famous <laughs> rock star. Right. You know, they, they were loving it. My husband, on the other hand, he was hating it. And so, but... I got one day, I got a scare with breast cancer and, uh, and I didn't get breast cancer, thank God. But I remember being in the bathroom in Clinton, Connecticut, we had a, and I was looking out the window, just standing there looking out the window and just seeing my boys out there playing baseball catch with their friends. And I said to myself, Patty, are you willing to give up this life for something that you don't have? Because when Mark, my manager and drummer, he went to New York City and he found a music lawyer and the music lawyer loved the songs and loved my look and all that stuff. He says, if we get her four more songs and stuff like I can guarantee you a record contract from a, you know, record company. Mm -hmm. Excuse me. 
so that's what drove my husband off the edge. Hmm. And so when I was in the bathroom, just looking out the window, you know, and just looking at the kids out there and I'm going, am I going to give up these kids for something I don't have? Mm-hmm. And my husband came home that night. I sat him down and he goes, oh my gosh, he's going to leave again. And so he said to me, he said that, so you're going to leave me? And I said, no, I'm not going to leave you. I've decided that I'm going to give up this music business because I really want my family back. And he was, he sat there in the living room just crying like a baby, could not believe that I was going to give everything up for him. Of course, on the other hand, my two boys were not happy. (laughs) And they were like, the, you know, the, the stars and the Hollywood lights and the limousines and all that stuff is just went poof, gone. Yeah. Then my husband just said, we need to move out of Connecticut. He says, I want to move to Florida and I'm, I'm taking the boys with me if you don't want to go, but I'm, I'm getting out of Connecticut. We need to get away. So I said, okay, I'm coming with you. So we moved to Florida. We moved to Cape Coral, Florida. And when we got to Cape Coral, Florida, uh, we had to, we actually had to put our oldest son, Jeff, in a drug rehab because he was a, he was a statewide runaway, runaway for like three times. We had no idea where this kid was. Mm. So we had to put him in a place called Outreach. uh, And from, we put him in Outreach and it was a seven step program. And we realized that we were, all dysfunctional. The whole family was dysfunctional. Mm-hmm. And there was another couple that had put their son in the, in the in outreach. And um, they noticed that they came up to us later on. We have what was called open meeting. The, we had the microphone talking to the kids when they're standing up that, you know, you did this to us and all that. And the kids couldn't say anything to us. And then mm-hmm. the next day, their counselor said, well, you know, how did you feel that your brother and your mother and father said this? Well, that couple decided, they asked us, they said, you guys, uh, you know, would you like to go to church? And so they gave me tapes of a Baptist preacher. Mm -hmm. And so me, being a Catholic girl, I was like, are you kidding me? You know, I'm not going to listen to no Baptist preacher. And so one night I was going to a meeting that I was selling cosmetics at the time. And I grabbed one of the tapes. He had, we had like 10 tapes that this couple gave us of, of uh, Pastor Jim Holbrook. I grabbed one of the tapes, I put it in the car, went to my meeting, got back in the car, was going down McGregor Boulevard in Fort Myers, Florida. It was January 20th, 9.15 at night. And I heard Pastor Hol- Holbrook say, here I am, I stand at the door and knock, and if anyone hears my voice. Pastor Brett, I put my car over the side of the road and I was a, like a house away from Thomas Edison's summer home. I remember it like it was yesterday. And I sat there and I cried my eyes out. And I said, Lord, I don't know who you are. I think I know who you are, but I needed you. I need you in my life. Something's going wrong and I can't fix it. Mm. And I didn't see a marching band go by. I didn't hear see balloons or anything. Something happened that night that changed my life. And I felt like the elephant left the room. The elephant went off my shoulder. I felt like a free bird, just like, wow. And I collected my thoughts. And then I took off on the street, went to my house. I kind of, my car's coming in on two wheels. I was so excited. <laughs> Grabbed the tape, brought it in the house, screaming at my husband, going, I have the tape in my hand, going, Jeff, Jeff, you got to listen to this. And he goes, what's that? And I said, I don't know. Something happened to me tonight. I don't know. I, something about 
being born again or something. I don't know what it is, but I, something happened to me. And he just looked at me and said, oh, really? You? And he just like, you got to be kidding. Mm. So we called. Um, I called my friend Linda that she was one of the ones that gave me the tape. And um, she said, oh, my gosh. So I got Jeff on the phone. Jeff talked to her husband, Walt. He invited us to church. He said, he said the magic word to my husband. If you come to church, we'll buy you breakfast. <laughs> <laughs> so my husband goes, I don't miss a free meal. Let's go to church. <laughs> oh, that's great. So we went to church, and that was a week after I thought I got saved, and I talked to Pastor Holbrook, and that's truly what happened. I realized that that night that I trusted Christ as my Savior. Mm. And that day that when we went to church, my husband walked the aisle and trusted Christ as a Savior. That very first day. Right. Wow. First day at church. Yeah. And so because Pastor Holbrook was preaching and he stopped, he stopped the sermon, his sermon three times because my husband was crying so loud, like he just lost his mother. Really? And Pastor Holbrook says, son, are you okay? And my husband's looking at me, he's just sobbing. And I'm looking at Pastor Holbrook going, keep going, keep going, keep going, <sighs> you know? <laughs> so he stopped three times. What and a story. It's, it's amazing. And then from that point, you know, he came over to our house the next day. He wanted to find out. If we, he wanted to nail everything down. He wanted to make sure that we understood what right. we were hearing. And I will never, I will always be grateful for Pastor Jim Holbrook for, for taking the time to do mm -hmm. that. Mm -hmm. Meanwhile, my son's in the, one son's in the program. And Michael's in his room listening to all the stuff going on with Pastor Holbrook in our living room. You know, he's trying to get nailed down our salvation. Pastor Holbrook was given this beautiful race car to drive. And Michael said to us, if I can drive a car like that, I want to be a pastor. <laughs> <laughs> and just for people who don't know your son, Michael, what is he today? He's a pastor, yeah. but he doesn't drive a race car. <laughs> <laughs> and your other son, Jeff, what is he doing today? He's doing today. He's a pastor also. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> So now you know the rest of the story, but let's let's pick up where you left off. So you guys come to faith in Christ, and right. your lives just are revolutionized, right? It did. It it just like the, God just opened up our eyes to everything, and just the forgiveness that He has for everybody, for us. And I was just amazed that all the garbage and stuff that we did, that there was a Savior that died on the cross for our disgusting sins hmm. it just blew us away and so after all that you know we put jeffrey graduated his program from from outreach and my husband got back onto the railroad again which brought us out of florida to the chicago area and that's where i got introduced to the pregnancy resource centers mm -hmm. and so then and god starts to weave something new into your life that's redemptive absolutely in terms mm -hmm. of your past. Absolutely. I remember going to church. You know, church has their bulletins, what's going on. And we went to this church, and every Sunday I saw this bulletin, and in it said there was a pregnancy center looking for volunteers. And I would literally look at it and just throw it on the floor. I'm like, nope, I'm not going. Nope. For six months, I saw that every single Sunday. Finally, I just felt in my heart, okay, God, I guess you're trying to tell me something. And now I was working in the cosmetic world doing, making good money. 
But I called this pregnancy center and they said they were looking for a center director. And I was like, I told the, the secretary, I said, hold on, Trigger. I don't even know what you guys do and you want me to do what? So I went and talked to the executive director for two hours. She was amazed with my testimony. She said, Patty, you need to be working at a pregnancy center. I'm like, well, I don't know if I want to. So she goes, well, please sign the application and think about it. So I signed the application. I got home. I called her as soon as I got home after I filled the application out. I said, I don't know if you're going to hire me, but I don't want the job. I hung up on him. And so then I went back to my job. Now, was that that because you just didn't want to face the past and have to be reminded of it? Or what was going on in your heart at that time? That that was part of it. The other part that I know now is that I was going to have to deal with my past abortion. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. You you didn't want to have to face that. that. Yeah, that's a trauma and a guilt thing. And shame, I'm sure, still wrapped in all that. Right. And I just, it was just so. For, so for four or five months, I went to my job, and then all of a sudden, I didn't like my boss. Then I didn't like some of the people I worked with. I didn't like some of my customers. They were crabby. Then I didn't like my uniform. And I'm like, wait, what's going on here? And then all of a sudden, and I know women might relate to this, what I'm going to say. It's like, all of a sudden, I didn't like all the free makeup I was getting from the lines, the cosmetic lines. I was making $1,000 of free makeup a year. And I realized, I said, oh. And I realized that was it. God had to put that in front of me to realize I needed to go work at a pregnancy center. Mm. I called them back. It was a new executive director. She said, oh, I heard what you did. I'm like, oh, gosh, they're not going to hire me. And they ended up hiring me. I never asked them how much money I was going to make. I didn't ask them the hours. And so, But when I found out what the hours were, I was going to ma- only work in 12 hours a week for $7.50 an hour. I'm leaving thousands of dollars behind and I did that and left mm-hmm. and my boss with the cosmetic line said you're going to leave two weeks before Christmas and all the money you're going to make on a, a job you don't even know what you want and I'm like yep and that I went to the pregnancy center and I went through their healing grace class which is their post-abortion recovery class mm-hmm. and Pastor Brett it was the best thing that I ever did in my life mm-hmm. bar to trusting Christ as my savior Mm-hmm. So now I've been in this ministry for 22 years, and I love it. Mm. It is such a wonderful testimony, Patty, and I really appreciate you sharing that with us. And I think maybe someone is listening to this, that you have a part of your past that's painful and you don't want to revisit. Mm-hmm. If that's you, please know there is healing available for you. The same God who forgives us of our sin also comes along, and he can heal us of our past wounds. Mm-hmm. And he can do that for you if you're listening. Don't be afraid, but know that God will take you through those hard memories and he will bring healing. And we'd love to help you with that here at Harvest Jacksonville or Sound of Truth podcast. If you want to reach out to us, we would love to seek to help match you with someone who's been through what you've been through and can help you with whatever level of trauma or past issues you had, whether it's in this particular realm of abortion or um, it could be drugs and addiction, etc. Patty's touched on several things that it has caused people a lot of harm and pain and suffering in their life. And she talked about being in a, a place of despair and not caring if she lived or she died. And now she loves life and is thrilled to be serving the Lord and, and using the gifts that God has given her and he's redeemed her past. And so uh, Patty's just going to give you a, a, another paragraph to just share anything you would want to say to a person out there, whether it's in regard to pregnancy and that uh, issue. I would like to share it's like um, that don't let the enemy win. 
Don't let the enemy put you down with the guilt and the shame that you have endured through a past abortion. And that's what that's what the enemy did for me for years. So don't let him do that. And if you've had, you know, obviously you've had an abortion, we know that the bigger package comes later of the shame and the guilt. So I implore you to find a pregnancy center that has a post-abortion recovery program so those ladies can love on you so we can know what Jesus truly did for you. Thank you, Patty. So well said. And the same is true for men out there who have been in Jeff's shoes, who sometimes we think it's just the women, but there's a lot of guilt and shame in some men's past Mm -hmm. as well, and that has to be dealt with also. And Mm -hmm. there is forgiveness at the cross, and there's healing at the cross as well. And it's available for all who come to him. Regardless what sin it is, Jesus is the answer, as we've heard in this testimony today. If you'd like to know more details about Patty's story, she's the author of From the House by the Seashore. It's available on Amazon. Look up author Patty, P-A-T-I, Adams. Patty Adams, From the House by the Seashore. Thank you, Patty, for coming on Sound of Truth. You've been a blessing. All right, Pastor Brett. It has been an honor and a blessing to do this. Amen. Amen. Thanks for listening to this episode of Sound of Truth. If you enjoyed it, please rate and review it. Also, tell your friends about it. Thanks. Music is by Canon and is used by permission. Sound of Truth podcast is produced in collaboration with Harvest Jacksonville. It is copyrighted by Brett A. Mirani, 2022.